Yeah, that was very stupid. I should have mentioned that. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, parenthood, publishing, and marriage. I'm Morgan Baden. With me is Barry Liga, who is my husband and my co-host. Hi, Barry. Hey, Morgan. So this has been a seriously eventful week. It's been a little crazy, yeah. So I want to dive right in because there's sure. so much that's been happening on both the writing and the parenting front. Yes. Which yes. is really cool when they sort of merge like that because it gives us perfect podcast fodder. Exactly, exactly. Almost I'm, like we planned it. it. It is almost like we planned it. <laughs> All right, so I, I feel like the most important thing and the most exciting thing to talk about is that we are coming off launch week, book release week Yeah. for After the Red Rain, which yes. is your most recent book. Now... That's exciting in and and of itself anyway, but I feel like it was particularly exciting this week because you had events to go to in both LA and New York, and because your co-author, Peter Faccinelli, the actor, um, made some media rounds and and talked about the book, which was really cool. It was interesting. I mean, he was on uh, live with Kelly and Michael, Mm -hmm. which... I will always think of as live with Regis and Kathy Lee. Well, because... I, what's funny is I, th- I think of it as Regis and Kelly. So there's the generation difference yeah, there. Sure. No, but but it is it's Regis still. I feel really bad for Michael, who I think <laughs> feels seems very charming and lovely. He seems like a great guy. Every yeah. time I see him do anything at all, I go, "That's a cool dude." Yeah, but, but yeah. we do call it Regis. Yeah. Sorry, sorry guys. Uh, yeah, so he was on the show and said some really nice things about my work. And gave a nice plug to some of my other books, which yeah. was very nice. So, yeah, th- this was an interesting experience. You know, I mean, the collaboration itself was interesting, working with, with a celebrity. And then the publication process has been really interesting. Honestly, the coolest thing for me yeah. about the whole thing is that uh, Tuesday night on on release day, Peter and I were at Barnes & Noble in Union Square yep. in Manhattan for an event. And even though it was past her bedtime, you brought Leia. Of course. And it was, <laughs> I'm sitting up there talking about the book, answering questions and, and things like that. And I would just look and suddenly you would go by holding her because she wanted to walk down the aisle or something. So she's like trundling down the aisle and holding onto your fingers because she can't walk by herself yet. And she can't sit still. And she can't she sit still. Walking, so. And it's just, I would just look up and you would be in random places with yeah, her. And yeah. it was really adorable. I have to say it was really funny because... We were discussing for several weeks whether or not I was going to bring her to that event because it started at 7 and she goes to bed at 7-ish. So we knew it was going to be a break in her routine and was it worth it really was the question that we kept batting around. And truly up until that afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, I had no idea what I was doing. I kept going back and forth and my twin sister and I were G-chatting and she was like, if you're going tonight and bringing the baby, I'll come. And I said, yeah, I'm still deciding. And then I thought for another beat and said, what, what is the matter with me? Of course I'm going. Why wouldn't I go? Like, of course we should do this. This is exciting. This doesn't happen every week. And it's okay to break the routine. That's the point of a routine is that sometimes you can break it. Right. And then the baby goes right back into it and it's fine. And yeah, and I, I just thought it was really important. Uh, one of those moments where I was like, Morgan, you don't need to completely forego doing anything cool because you have a baby. Oh, yeah. Coming to see me talk about a book is cool. It, well, A, it is. But B, <laughs> I, do, do you know what I mean? It was just no, one of those moments you of like, I know what you, I, you know, because her bedtime is seven-ish, I have to turn down a lot of things. Right. And, you know, I run home from work. I don't do any more happy hours after work. Like, yeah. all of those things have fallen to the wayside, and rightfully so. 
Um, but she's at the age now where it's okay to do that now and then, especially of course, if she's with me and right. you know, and it, it worked great. And it worked out fine. She, you know, she went home very, very late and yeah. she entertained everybody on the subway. We I were understand. on a packed subway and she held court the way she does. Yeah. And everyone was absolutely charmed by her and she was doing her hilarious scream and, and laughing and clapping. She, she applauds on command now. So, yeah. uh, so it was really great. And then, and then, you know, she went to bed and she did have a little trouble the next night. Yeah. We don't know if that's a coincidence or if there's some sort of causal relationship right, there. Yeah. The next night, fine. the next night she didn't want to go to bed and she had some trouble, but then after that she was fine. So, yeah. so yeah, anyway, so back great. to the events and back to the book. But that's, that, that to me was like the yeah, really yeah. cool thing. I mean, you know, I've done these events before. I mean, this time Peter was there, but still I've done it before. Uh-huh. But this was the first time where I looked up and I'm like, there's my kid in right, the audience, yeah. you know? So that cool. was really cool. Yeah. And then you went to L.A. And then I went to L.A. For a lightning fast trip. To do the same thing again. And and that was fun. It was another Barnes & Noble. And, and Peter and I did our song and dance again. And had some fun. And, yeah, yeah it was great. And, you know, oh, I also did a, an interview with Public Radio. Yep. And that was really cool. Yeah. And there was a USA Today article. There was a USA Today article, yeah. MTV had revealed the trailer. So there was a... It's a kick-ass trailer. It's a really good trailer. I don't like book trailers, and it's really good. I'm going to put the trailer in the show notes. I'll put all this stuff in the show notes. You know, by the way, this is where I'm going to put a plug in. Check out our show notes, people. I put a lot of effort into <laughs> our does. show notes. He really and it does. kills me if you don't go look at them. <laughs> if, if you hear a reference to something on the show and you think, I didn't quite get that. I wonder what that's all about. Odds are I've put it in the show notes and you can learn more. Yeah. So anyway, I'll put links to all this stuff in the show notes. And the show notes, by the by, are at writinginreallife.com. Oh, thank you. Yes, yes. because, yeah, that was very stupid. I should have mentioned that. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, the trailer is really, really good. Yeah. Um, I was really, really pleased by it. I, I saw it for the first time, you know, a couple of weeks before it was revealed. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, launch week. Right. And, and it was a little a, a little bit crazy, but, you know, got through it and it was fine. Yeah. yeah. Great. I was going to ask you what your highlights were, but you just said, you know, looking out honestly, and seeing the baby. L- looking out and seeing the baby. Um, you know, I got upgraded at my hotel in LA. That's, okay, that's, all, that's, nice that's always nice. That's always nice. They upgraded also, you stayed at a Kimpton, I right? stayed at a Kimpton. Always a highlight. Love and, them. And they upgraded me to a, a suite. So that was nice. Um, and I will say that the sandwich I got from room service was <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> it was so good. I think it probably had an entire stick of butter in it. Uh, it was so good. It was wonderful. <laughs> now I want to talk about something related to this, which is that, um, we both had big weeks and I'll, I'll get to sure. mine in a moment, but so you were on the road a bit this week, um, for authors that tour a lot and you've gone on more extensive tours than this. Yeah. There's no time to get any writing done. Yeah. So what do you do? Like when authors are on the road, is there just no writing happening whatsoever? I mean, there are, I, I don't know. I mean, there are people who can work on the road. It depends on what kind of a tour it is and how long it is, really. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, to me, the most brutal tour I had was the I Hunt Killers tour in 2012. Okay. It was just really, and it was it was five days, so it wasn't, you know, I mean, some people are on tour for two weeks. I'm working on some tours at work right now, and it's literally like 36 events yeah. one author is having. Yeah. I had roughly a dozen events over the course of five days. Okay. And that was in three different cities. Wow. And I mean, like the, probably the craziest day was I woke up in Seattle at three in the morning to get on a plane to San Francisco, landed in San Francisco at 
seven or eight in the morning. Mm-hmm. Driver picks me up, takes me straight to the first event. I had three events back to back throughout the day. Went to a hotel. My publisher actually got me a room that I used for one hour. Just so you could nap. Just so that I could <laughs> theoretically nap, but you can't. Like, no, at that point, at that not. point, you're like petrified. You're not going to wake yeah. up. So instead, I got a shower and changed my clothes yeah. and vegged out for you know 30 minutes. Yeah. Got back in the car, went to do a bookstore event that evening. As soon as the event was over, got back in the car, went to the airport, got on a plane, landed in L.A. at midnight. Oh, my God. And then in the morning, Did had an event. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That was cr- I was literally on the ground in San Francisco. I remember it was 14 hours. Yeah, on wow. the ground. Well, I always think of when I travel for work, I don't get any actual work done. Right. I feel like because you're there for a reason, and so you're right. usually conference or meetings, whatever. Um, so I, I don't know. I imagine it's quite the same for authors. Well, my my favorite thing about traveling as an author, and I'm not even sure if this has anything to do with the topic at hand, but I'll say it anyway, because it's my favorite thing about traveling as an author. And I mean this sarcastically is everybody wants to know, you know, what's San Francisco like? And what'd you do in LA? And how, did you like Austin? And, and it's like, yeah, I saw the hotel and I saw the venue right. where I perform. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And honestly, the hotel and the venue where you perform look the same in yeah. every city. Yeah. So usually there is not enough time to do any sightseeing or anything like that. Yeah. You know, the drivers who pick you up are always trying to tell you about the great, you know, <laughs> oh, you know, go to this you bar this. and go to this nightclub. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't yeah. have time for that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Can uh, I tell you a funny story that I just remembered? Yes, of course. When I ghost wrote the first book that I ghost wrote, I was... I like how we have to be so circumspect about what you've ghost written. <laughs> we do. I know. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, I was in Chicago, actually. It was Gone Girl, by the way. <laughs> You're welcome, America. No, I was in Chicago and uh, for a work conference, a two or three day, I can't remember. The My second night there, oh, and I had decided to extend my stay in Chicago for the weekend because that was my first time there. And, of course, I wanted to sightsee. Wouldn't you know it that I'd been waiting and waiting and waiting for the assignment. And of course it came my second night in Chicago, which was the first night of my mini vacation in Chicago. And so I thought, okay, by the way, I had a five week turnaround. So that was insane. (laughs) And I thought, okay, I'll just spend my whole weekend sort of half sightseeing and half writing. So I tried to like go to cool coffee shops and write. I went and got some deep dish pizza and wrote in a random booth restaurant at a pizzeria. You know, it was so dumb. And I was like, this is not working. So I ended up at one point just going to the hotel and writing. So, I mean, I I think it probably depends when you're on tour and trying to write what your deadlines are like. Yeah. You know, if you're not under any particular deadline pressure, you're probably not going to bother because you're just not going to have the energy or the bandwidth. If you're under deadline pressure, you got to do it. It's like being in college and staying up all night cramming for an exam. I did, I was on a mini tour for, uh, for hero type Mm -hmm. when no, I'm sorry for boy toy. When the page proofs for hero type came through and they needed them back in a week. And so I had to like, I had, and the thing that sucks about that is it's not like, Oh, you bring your laptop along and you get some work done. I had to bring a printout, <laughs> like a 400-page printout. Yeah. yeah, Hero Type's a short book, but still, it was maybe not 400 pages, but I was bringing like, you know, 300 pages with me yeah. on tour uh, so that I could go back to the hotel at night and read through it and mark it up and stuff like yeah. that. And I was so annoyed. Anyway, writers who write on the road, tell us about it. I have, tell us your I tips. I have no idea how they do it. I find... I, I, 
swear to myself I'm going to do it every time I travel, and yeah. I never do. Yeah, I'd love to compile some some advice though. So yeah. seriously, yeah. Go tweet us. Go tweet to writinginreallife.com and leave a comment. We have a comment form. It gets lonely if you don't use it. <laughs> all right. So moving on. Part two of our epic week is all about Leia. All about Leia. So two big things happened and a third big thing, I guess, kind of has been happening. Yeah. Um, in terms of her development, she is basically walking. Pretty much. She... Still mostly demands our hands. Right. But she enjoys pulling away from them and balancing on her own and then taking a couple steps and yeah. then grabbing them again. And right. um literally like overnight she went from sort of stumbling along at a slow pace to now like running down the well, hallway. And and sort of with a destination in mind. Yes. It that's used to be a good she, point, it used yeah. to be she would sort of stagger around for a few steps and then she'd be very pleased with herself and she would be done. Yeah. Now it's like, no, I have decided I'm gonna go to the office. Yes. And so let's go. Let's go. Yeah. And we go to the office because that's what she wants to do. Yeah. So my mom was in town a couple of days this week because Once of course again, you thank, were away. Thank you, grandmothers. Absolutely. <laughs> And first of all, she was so funny because I was at work on Thursday and she had Leia all day and she called at some point early afternoon just to tell me how amazing Leia is and basically in to case, brag about how proud she was of herself. In yeah. case you didn't yeah, know. Yeah, I know. It was so cute though. She was just yeah. talking about how, what a wonderful day they were having, which is always great to hear. So that's nice. But my mom in her infinite mom wisdom said, you should really get some shoes for this kid. <laughs> And I thought of that all week because she'd been in my office a couple of times this week, which we'll get to. And she was walking around in her bare feet on what are probably not super clean carpets. Because most people don't know, in addition to being a publisher of fine children's books, Scholastic is also a butcher shop. (laughs) So there's awful everywhere. There's there's just bacteria on those carpets. And No, anyway, it was funny. The sweat and tears of depressed authors. (laughs) That's probably legit, actually. So... So mom bought her her first pair of shoes, like real well, walking her shoes. Her first I pair of walking say. shoes. Yeah. She had some other shoes. Yeah, that, that are not she for wore walking. Purely cosmetically. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, it was absolutely hilarious watching her um, adjust to them, and it's been really great. And, I, and they're supposed to help her with her walking even more. So uh, we're on our way with that, which is awesome. It is. It, it's crazy that she's so mobile, and she. And the funny thing is, she hasn't even really mastered crawling yet. No, she's totally like, not. She's sort of yeah. like crawling is like. Eh, she does that in desperation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And number two, she participated in a photo shoot for Scholastic, which yes, was really cool. that was very cool. And she was wonderful. Um, like, amazing. They loved her. Yeah. And she was like, she was not a diva at all. She didn't demand only green M&Ms. They, were, they were joking to her that she needed to be more difficult so that <laughs> she could charge more, earn more money, essentially, right. because she would take longer than the five minutes it took her they, to they thought the They shot. thought it was going to take a while. Yeah. And she was, she was just great. And it took no time at all. Yeah. So that's really, really superstar. terrific. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I also had a very interesting week. You had a great week. Let me tell this. Okay. Let me tell this. You were on national television. I was. Like, and not like, you know, in a commercial for something weird. Like, you were on <laughs> you were on CBS News. Yeah. That was very cool. Yeah. Was, tell us about what that was. It was, so true story is I woke up Wednesday as I was getting ready for work. Uh, I knew I was only going to be working a half day because we have some summer flex hours and I was taking mine that afternoon. So I was planning on leaving at two. So I could come home and hang out with you and my mom, who was arriving that day. And I thought to myself, I'm just going to put on a schlubby outfit (laughs) because I'm only going to be there half day. Um, But I had washed my hair and it was looking pretty ratty. So I was like, let me just do my hair really quickly, which 
it's summer. I never do that in the summer, but I actually blew out my hair. So this is important later on because (laughs) this is foreshadowing people (laughs) because a couple of hours later I'm in the office and long story short, a producer at CBS evening news is friends with someone I know at work and they were doing a story on corporate maternity leaves because Because of Netflix. Right. And they had heard that Scholastic has a good maternity leave policy and was someone interested in talking about it. A recent mom, um, preferably a millennial, which I am not, but we're in New York City. There are no millennial parents, essentially. Right. <laughs> They're all Gen Xers. So anyway, um, through various circumstances, I became the person who was going to be interviewed by CBS. So we did the pre-interview on the phone and... Uh, it was very brief. It was a couple of minutes. And then the producer said, okay, my camera crew is on its way. And I thought, oh my God, <laughs> I'm in a schlubby outfit. Thank goodness I at least did my hair. So I had to run out across the street and buy a dress, which was very funny. <laughs> and it was a team effort. My like my coworker, Julia, lent me her necklace because it matched perfectly. It was just this really funny thing. It's like a NASCAR pit crew. Like, I know, they all gathered around you. Yeah. My other coworker was like, I have makeup. Here, take it. So... Um, so it was awesome. So they they interviewed me. It was, I don't know, five or six questions maybe. And and then they shot a lot of B-roll of me in my office and walking down the hall and talking with a coworker and, and whatnot. And we came home and you ran out to teen author reading night. Yeah. And I was home with my mom and the baby. And then my twin sister stopped by because we knew it was airing at 630 that night. Right. And sure enough, it did. And it was it was a pretty good segment. It was. I, I'm, I'm featured quite a lot, which was awesome. Yeah. So, and to- again, totally unexpected. And it was really fun. So I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to talk about it because Scholastic does have a pretty good maternity leave policy, especially in the States. And I was watching you on the show and mm-hmm. I was thinking about it and I thought, you know, what should we consider to be a baseline for a good policy? What is a good policy? I mean, I know we have some friends out of the States who, for example, get like a year off Mm -hmm. and, and some of them are like, Canada has a notoriously fantastic policy. And some some of them are like, Oh my God, like I can't take it. A year is too long. Right. Right. You know? And so I'm wondering, I'm just curious because I don't really have a thought on this, but I wonder if you do what, like let, let, let's say you suddenly had the superpower to establish a national mandated maternity leave mm-hmm. policy. What would it be? Like, what would the minimum be for you? What yeah. do you think is the minimum acceptable policy? I think it would depend on whether there is a universal childcare policy attached to it, because I think that's where the crux of 80% of the issues lie yeah. in this country is that there's not affordable universal childcare. Um, so if I were picking the policy right. <laughs> off the top of my head right now, yeah. I would say minimum, I would say six months, six months, six months minimum. And with an option then of flex time from six months to a year. Okay. And, and we're talking full time pay yep. during the, okay. yeah, and universal daycare. I think, you know, it's so interesting because I was talking to a coworker. For those of you who've had babies, you know that they are aliens up until they're about 12 weeks old. So until they're three months old, they consider that um, the fourth trimester yeah. of pregnancy because they're not, they're like barely human at that point. Seriously. I mean, we're, yeah, it's not even a joke. I mean, yeah. they are, they're, they're like little creatures. Yeah. yeah. And they are just, they're, it's a, it's tough. It's a, it can be a slog and they need, 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 need obviously, and you have to be there to provide for them. Right. Um, and especially if you're breastfeeding, like you are attached to that baby, right? which is necessary and is beautiful and lovely and all of that, all of that stuff. But inconvenient. 
Well, I'm not even going to say inconvenient. I'm just going to say FMLA right now is 12 weeks unpaid leave. So that's what the U.S. offers if you have, I think, a minimum of 60 employees or something like that. Um, So basically what we're saying to new moms is you get that really difficult part. Right. And then you got to go right back to work. Just when the baby is becoming a person. Right. And just when all of this amazing stuff that is just a joy to watch and witness is happening, you don't get to be there. And that is so, so sad. Yeah. Like that's, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. And, and it, you know, hearing you say that, like, it feels like that was like that policy was enacted in sort of a cold blooded scientific fashion. It actually wasn't. I read an article that said it was pretty arbitrary. 12 weeks is pretty arbitrary. Mm -hmm. Huh? Yeah. It, 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 to me, it feels like somebody looked at, at a, at the growth chart of a newborn and said, Oh, you know, they're completely helpless, you know, and, and, and alien creatures for the first 12 weeks. Mom should definitely be home with them for those 12 weeks. And then that's it, it, you know, and after that, everything's fine. Yeah. 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 So anyway, yeah, I, I would love to see six weeks, uh, six six months months and then, and then six months flex time or whatever. Um, I do remember when uh, a good friend of mine asked me what my leave was, right? Either before or after we had had the baby, and I told her, and she sort of recoiled in horror and was like, "That's a terrible leave." And I said, "Oh, oh, honey, <laughs> you might want to check with your company because right. this is actually a very generous leave." Yeah. And uh, it turns out her her company has terrible leave. And um, ha, no, no, no. I'm, but it was I'm one not... of those things where I was like defensive of it because right. I was like, "No, this is actually really, really yeah. good." Yeah. And um, yeah. So so anyway, wow. okay. Epic week. Epic week. Yeah. Truly, truly an epic week. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to a nice, calm, boring, run-of-the-mill week. I'm just looking forward to getting back into a, a regular routine and all the sort of standard daytime stuff and nighttime stuff. And, yeah. Um, part of the reason I'm looking forward to that is because I'll actually get to write again. Yeah. <laughs> Although you wrote today. I did. You know what? Usually on Saturdays, here's where I must confess, the baby wakes up around 7, 6.30 to 7, depending And of course I'm up with her. And then when it's time for her first nap, which is usually around 9am because it's Saturday, I usually crawl right back into bed and snooze while she snoozes, which is lovely. But today for some reason, I just didn't feel like it. So, and I was like, I haven't written all week. I'm going to do it. So she went in, went into her room for a nap and I was like, made myself some coffee and sat down and wrote, which was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you got some work done. So that's good. I did. Okay, so let's follow up on something from last week. Wait, you want to follow up on I know, something? I know. Well, what's funny is actually you're the one who prompted me to follow up on it. But I was right. So I'm following should, I, I'm we, following up by proxy, kind of. We should definitely follow up on this, though. Last week we talked a lot about the New York Times bestseller list, particularly yes. for young adults. Yes. Um, interestingly enough, I can't go into details on this, but a group that I am a member of... Uh, also spent a lot of time this week talking about the New York Times list in particular. The Illuminati? (laughs) Sorry. uh, Talking about how absolutely bananas it is. And I felt good about that, okay? Just because it was good to sort of hear that reconfirmed. And and I like the fact that more and more authors are talking about how bananas it is. Okay. So somebody on Twitter said something that I think we both agree with. Yeah. Um... But, but it's much easier said than done, which is essentially, instead of worrying about what is or is not wrong with the New York Times bestsellers list, maybe we should all just consider it kind of useless and just consider a different metric of success. Right. You know, 
I was interested to see that because I've thought that for a while. Right. And it's one of those things that's easier said than done. But also, I, you know, one of the things we didn't talk about last week, I think, is why the New York Times bestseller list looms so large yeah. for authors in particular. And I know in my case and in the case of a lot of people I've talked to, one reason is that publishing tends to be a data-starved industry. Okay. And authors are the hungriest. We get the least data and we get it later than anybody else. Yeah. You know, it's funny when a book comes out, I'll, I'll, I'll tell this story. I don't mind. You know, I saw Peter the other day and he says, so do we know how the book is selling? And I said, oh dude, no, this isn't TV. This isn't TV. We don't have overnights. This Uh isn't Hollywood. We don't know the opening weekend box office. Like it doesn't work that way. It takes a couple of weeks for publishing to grind the numbers yeah. and, and get the information to you. And even then it's not the best information. And most important of all, you don't have any context for it. Yeah. I could find out next week that after the red rain sold 50,000 copies, it's first week. I just plucked that number out of nowhere. Yeah. I don't know if that's a ridiculously high number for its first week, a ridiculously low number. I don't know mm-hmm. because I have nothing to compare it to. Yeah. I don't know what anybody else's books are selling. Right. You know, when, when a movie comes out, you know, they publish in the yeah. paper, Fantastic Four earned this much, Trainwreck earned this much, Inside Out earned this much. And you know, in publishing, you don't know you, and you have nothing to compare it to. And I think that's one reason why authors are so obsessed Yeah. to use a probably too strong word. With the New York Times bestseller list, because it's one, it's the one piece of public information that tells them where they stand. Right. You know, if you hit the New York Times bestseller list, there are 10 titles on that list. If you are one of them, you know, you did better than the ones below you and worse than the ones above you. And if you're number one, you know, you were the best book, Yeah. you know, and that is one of the only ways for authors to know anything at all. Yeah. And I think that is why. Everybody is so concerned with the the purity of the list, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Because it's one of the few it's one of the few things we've got to look at. Yeah. And it, it's frustrating that, that that it's there because it's such an imperfect, narrowly I mean, defined tool. Imperfect. You know? Yeah. And so it's really frustrating that that's the thing you look at. Yeah. But there's nothing else. So let me instead of you asked me about maternity leave dreams. Let me ask you, what would you like to know as an author each I week would, that your book is out in the world? I would say six months off with the option of flex time for six <laughs> months after that. No, I think... Author leave. Author leave. Please, please let there be author leave. Please, please. Yeah, after your book is born, yes. you get uh-huh. a certain you amount of time to. off uh-huh. to take care of it. Um, no. I... I this is not an answer that would replace the New York Times bestseller list, but it is something I've thought about for a few years now and wondered why there isn't an equivalent, which is, you know, in the record industry, in the music industry, they have gold, albums go gold yes. or platinum yeah. or silver or whatever, double gold, double platinum, whatever. Why don't we do that in books? Yeah. Because the, the, the only public metric we have right now is the New York Times bestseller list, which only tells you for this week, yeah. this book did really well. Yeah. And then obviously it tells you how many weeks it's on the list, but all that tells you is 
it did well compared to other books. Well, because what's which, funny is there could be a book that comes in at number 11 for 52 weeks. So right. it's not on the top 10 list. Right. No one knows about it, whatever. But it ended up selling better. More than the number one for right. one week. Right, was yeah, for yeah. one week. So why not have gold, platinum, silver books? I love that so idea. That, especially this way you reward books that aren't a flash in the pan. Yeah. You reward books where it's not a case where this book comes out and sells like gangbusters for one week and then disappears from the universe. Yeah. I love this idea. Instead, you know, this way, if a book is out for 10 years and over the course of 10 years, it finally hits the level where it would be certified gold, that author gets a little bump. That author gets a little, hey, good job. You wrote a book. It took you 10 years, but your book was well-loved enough that it stayed out there for 10 years, you know? And so I, I really think something like that should exist. And yeah. I've brought this up to people in publishing before and they've all said it's a good idea and yet it hasn't happened. So well, I think you know they're, a bunch of, they're a bunch of slackers. You know what you need to do? Is write a personal essay about write it. Write about it and pitch it. <laughs> I'm only listeners, <laughs> listeners, I wish you could have just seen the, the eye strain I went through rolling my eyes all the way into the back of my head. No, but truly that's actually a really, really good idea. And I would love to see that. I, 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 th- I think again, it's not going to solve the problem of no, the bestseller no, list being such not. a big thing. It's not going to replace it or supplant it. Yeah. But, but in the absence of any other criteria or system for acknowledging successfully selling books, right? We focus on the we focus on we the focus on what list. we've got. So it's no all, it's the only thing we've got. Yeah. I think, and if nothing else, it gives you another marketing tool. Yeah. Which dirty little secret that was why gold records were invented in the first place. Is it purely as of a marketing course, tool? Of course. And I, you know, this gives you a marketing tool. All of these things, lists, bestseller lists, you know. The, the, the five novels you've got to read this summer, uh, every award or prize you ever heard of, they're all marketing gimmicks. Yeah. Yeah. Don't trick yourself. Don't fall into the trap of thinking, you know, that the person who won the Oscar for Best Picture last year accomplished something amazing. It's a marketing gimmick. Yeah. yeah. It is Hollywood figuring out, oh, here's how we can make sure more people will go see these particular movies. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, I did want to just... In keeping with talking about the bestseller list, though, I you know it occurred to me after we pushed out last week's episode, maybe the stagnation on the Y list is a good thing because maybe it puts us in that place where we start to look at the list and go, this doesn't mean anything anymore, and we do start to look at other metrics and try to come up with other metrics yeah. just because that one just doesn't seem to yeah. mean anything to us anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so maybe, maybe 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 it's a good thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, we don't really have any option other than to view it as a good thing or a bad thing. So I know, because there's nothing we can do about thing. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Unless you're listening New York Times editors, in which case, abolish the list. No, I'm just kidding. Or come up with a way to yeah. make it more useful. Or at least transparent. At least yeah. so we know what we're dealing with here. Right. Anyway. Let's do a quick writing update. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of did mine already. Yeah. I'm, I wrote this morning and I'm back in it, back into it. And my goal is still to get it to you by end of the August month. 1st? August 1st, 2016. 2016. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I got nothing done this week. Yeah. Because I was yeah. I was launch man yep. this week, so I okay. got nothing done. So, But I will be right back into it. But here's a critical question. Yeah. What did you read on your plane ride? What did I read? I, you know, last week I talked about two different books that I downloaded the samples for, and and that I would read both of them ultimately, but I did, just didn't know which one I would read first. 
And, you know, when I went to get on the plane, I opened up my iPad, and the first one looking at me was the library at Mount Char. So that's the one I've been reading. And I haven't finished it yet, but uh, I'm pretty close. Great. So what about you? What are you reading? I finished Adrift by Paul Griffin, which was phenomenal, truly. I, I was riveted. It's a really, it's a quick read, and it's a... I don't say this often, and I don't say this lightly. It's one of those books you don't want to put down. Yeah. Because I think the plot is just so um, action-packed. So. Well, I remember the other day, you were very close to the end, and it was very late at night. Oh, yeah. And it was way past your bedtime. Uh-huh. And you were clearly tired, and you said, I'm going to bed. And I was like, okay. And I came into the bedroom a few minutes later, and you were finishing the book. Yeah. Because you did not go to bed. No, you sat up yeah. in bed and finished reading the book. Yeah. Because you were that caught up in Yeah, it. yeah. So thank you, Paul, for a wonderful read, truly. Um, and then I dove right into the newest book from an author I've talked about quite a lot on here, Beatrice Williams. Ah. Uh, her newest book is Tiny Little Things, and I'm very excited. I'm a couple of chapters into it, and it, it seems to be typical Beatrice, which is a really good thing. Um, and it's actually telling the story of a character from some of her other books. Oh, cool. Uh, one of those side characters. So, and I, you know, I love that. So Great. Yeah, it's great. So, thank you so much for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to visit us online at writinginreallife.com. Look at the show notes. They're there, and they're funny. the show notes, man. They're funny. Um, And, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes and rate us while you're there. We hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.